that we need to be on guard against our surrounding environment, shaping us rather than God's Word. You see, the Israelites allowed their environment to shape them instead of God's Word shaping them. Mm. If you and I are not careful, we live in a world where we will allow the environment and the culture to shape us instead of allowing God's Word to shape us. this morning, we're going to continue our series on Ezekiel. Now, I, this has been the, one of the, uh, as I said last week, it's a book, it's a book, that, uh, a, pro, a prophetic book that God had given to Ezekiel, the visions and the prophecy God had given through the prophet Ezekiel, back in the day when they were taken into captivity. The children of Israel had been taken into captivity by, by Babylonia. And Ezekiel was a Levite who was destined to be one of the priests in the temple of God. And so he'd been training for about 25 years when all of a sudden God, and I, and I use the term God because it was God that brought Nebuchadnezzar in and conquered Israel and took Ezekiel and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and some of the other uh, leaders ta- had taken them captive into Babylonian captivity and took them to Babylonia. And there, Ezekiel had been trained all these years to be the priest, and and at at the age of 25, he's taken him to captivity. It was at the age of 30 that a priest would start his duties, would start his labor, would start his work. And so at the age of 30, we found out in the first chapter that God began to speak and give prophetic words to Ezekiel concerning Jerusalem. Because at this time, Jerusalem had not been destroyed. Jerusalem had not been taken captive, even though Nebuchadnezzar was uh, uh, the the, the ruler and had taken over Jerusalem. He allowed Israel to, I mean, uh, Jerusalem to stay. He allowed Jerusalem to stay, and he allowed even one of uh, uh, the Israelite kings to reign over uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judah. And of course, we, we talked about that. And, and so God begins to speak through Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, Isaiah, through Ezekiel and gives him product, prophetic words concerning the city of Jerusalem. And as he gives those prophetic words, it's, it's, it's almost as I said last week from that song, Hee Haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, oh, just misery, you know. And, and, and it seems like the whole letter is nothing but a gloom and doom uh, book, the, uh, the book of Ezekiel. But there's threads of hope, threads of hope always all through that book uh, of Ezekiel that God is going to restore that God is going to redeem, that God is going to restore Israel back to their nation and, and just restore the temple and all that. So there's threads of restoration all through the book of Ezekiel for the children of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem and for the temple. So we've been talking about that, and we've been talking about how that God said, uh, Ezekiel, I'm going to use you as a theater I want you to act out what I'm going to be doing to the nation or to the city of Jerusalem. And, you know, I want you to lay on your right side, lay on your left side. I want you to build a model. I want you to cut your beard. I want you to cut your hair. And I want you to take one-third of it, scatter it in the wind, one-third of it, burn it. And take one-third of it and, and uh, cut it up with a sword and stick it just a little, stick a little bit in your pocket there, you know, so to speak. And he's been using all of these analogies and all these figurative things, symbolism, to take or just share what he's going to do to the city of Jerusalem. And then last week, we talked about chapter 16. Chapter 16 and really chapter 24, but focused on chapter 16, where God begins to compare Israel as a wife and how that she became an adulteress and how that she became a prostitute. 
And how that she had prostituted all the gifts, all the blessings, and all the things that God had given to Israel, how that she took those gifts and gave them to other gods, gave them to idols, and prostituted all the blessings of gods, of God to other gods. And how that, you know, he told the story, and he kind of, I paraphrased it. He described his people as a young girl that had been abandoned in a field and left for dead. And he finds her and nurtures her and protects her and gives her everything that she needed and cleaned her up. And, and when the time came, he made, him, he made her his wife, the covenant with Israel. But Israel became proud and began to trust in her beauty. And we talked about all those things last week. But God was never, never, never unfaithful to Israel and even promises restoration. And then we ask the question, how does this apply to us? It is through Jesus Christ that God has delivered us from the bondage of sin and slavery. And though one may have turned, and I want you to get this, though one may have turned from a life of sin, our enemy, our enemy will always try to call us back into slavery. Have you ever noticed that? Though God has delivered us from the power of sin, our enemy, Satan himself, and sin, our flesh, will try to lure us back into the bondage and slavery of sin. I am so thankful that God is a forgiving God, that God is a compassionate God, that when I drift back, when I drift away and I drift back, that God calls me back and restores me. And I can tell you, God has done that to me time and time again. God never fails us, and God is full of compassion. Well, This morning, I want us to look at chapters 25 through 32. Now, I'm not going to read all those chapters because it would take me 45 minutes to read them. So we're not going to read all those chapters, but you can read them. But here, we find in chapter 24 that God speaks to Ezekiel and he says, Now, Ezekiel, you're not going to speak to the children of Israel anymore. You're not going to talk to him anymore until what I told you, what, I, what you have prophesied about is going to be fulfilled. You're not going to speak to the nation of Israel anymore until Jerusalem is besieged, the temple is destroyed, and, 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 and what you have prophesied has taken place. You're not going to speak to the nation of Israel anymore. But in chapter 25 through 32... Ezekiel begins to prophesy to the surrounding nations. He begins to prophesy to those nations that are surrounding Israel, Jerusalem, and Judah. And what we find is that God begins to address all this time. He's he's been addressing his chosen people. But now... God is going to begin to address the rest of the world. Now, I think that's unique, and I think that's something to speak, that God is not only concerned about you and I, those that have accepted Christ and are following him, but God is concerned about the entire world. God is concerned about every Muslim nation. God is concerned about every uh, uh, nation in the world that doesn't believe in God or accept God or doesn't believe in the one God. I'm telling you, God is concerned about every person in this entire world and not just about you and me. God wants to save all of mankind. I firmly believe, I firmly believe the only reason that Jesus Christ hasn't come back as of yet and he's coming back But I really believe the only reason he hasn't come back as of yet is God is still patient and kind and long-suffering, and he's wanting to save the world that is lost. 
He's wanting the gospel to get to those that haven't heard the gospel or those that haven't received the gospel. He's wanting the message to get out to the world that I'm coming back, but I want to save you. I want to give you eternal life. I want to redeem your life from destruction. And I really believe the only reason that Christ hasn't come back is that he's patient and long-suffering. But I don't know about you, but I'm almost getting to that place. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Man, I'm about getting to that place where I say that. And so God's concern was not just for his chosen people, the Israelites, but his concern was for the whole world. And even though God had a covenant relationship with Israel, now hear me, even though God's uh, 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 had a covenant relationship with Israel, God's intentions were to bless the entire world through the Israelites as God would bring forth the revelation of himself and the gift of his son. You see, it was through the lineage of Abraham that Jesus came. It was through the lineage of the Israelites that Jesus came. And God wanted to reveal, God, you see, the Israelites weren't, weren't a special group of people. In fact, God says you were stubborn, you were stick-knit, you were rebellious. That's what, he, that's what he called the Israelites. But he chose them. I'm choosing you because I want to I, I bless the entire world through you. In fact, he tells Genesis, I mean, Abraham in Genesis 12 and 3, he says, I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. I'm going to bless the entire world because of you. And he has. He brought forth the revelation of himself, and then he brought forth the revelation of his son to redeem the world through the Israelites. But now, the nation surrounding Israel are now going to hear from God. And they're going to hear from God on some issues that God has with them. So he sent his prophet to Babylonia to address the issues concerning his own people, but now he turns to the surrounding nations and he says, now I want to talk to you. In chapter 25, God begins to speak. Now, if you will notice the issues that as we go through this, that God has with the surrounding nations, the issues are the basic, are basic to human nature. Pride, vengeance, gloating, self-reliance. They're just basics to our human nature. Because you see, if we're not careful, every one of us will have an issue with pride at one point in our life. Every one of us, if we're not careful, will want to take revenge or vengeance into our hands. I want justice. I want justice. No, when you say, I want justice, what you're really saying is, I want revenge. Now, I believe in justice. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in justice. But you got to be careful when you say, I want justice, because you're implying a lot of times, I really want them to pay. I don't want to give them mercy. I don't want, I want justice. I want them to pay. You know, that's, if you want to know the truth, that, that's a human nature issue, is it not? Somebody does me wrong. My natural instinct is, I want you to pay. You steal from me, I hope somebody steals from you. Not really. That's not what I wish. But that's my human nature. <laughs> Understand me. Gloating. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to look at Proverbs 4 and 23. In Proverbs 4, 23, the writer Solomon says this, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Be careful about your heart. Because out of it comes the wellspring of life. I believe God wants to speak to us. 
So for just a moment, let's take a look at the surrounding nations of Israel to see what God had to say concerning them. First of all, if you go to chapter 25, you'll find there is a prophecy against Ammon, and there is a prophecy against Moab. Now notice, I'm not going to read the entire part, but in chapter 25, verse I believe it is verse 3, the Bible says, Say to them, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you said, aha, over my sanctuary. Because you said, aha, over my sanctuary, when it was desecrated, and over the land of Israel, when it was laid waste, and over the people of Judah, when they went into exile. Therefore, I'm going to give you to the people of the east as a possession. Now, notice Moab in in verse 8. This is what the sovereign Lord says, because Moab and Seir said, look, the house of Judah has become like all the other nations. Now, what I want you to notice here is this this mindset or this, 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 this attitude of gloating. Gloating. What does it mean to, to gloat over something? You see, the, the, the Ammon and, and, and Moab were gloating. Oh, the hand of God, the hand of God has been taken off of Israel. I mean, they have boasted about their God. They boasted about their protection. They have boasted. But the hand of God has been taken off the, hand, the land of Israel, and they have become just like every other nation, and they begin to gloat over them. They began to misconstrue that God's discipline meant that God had abandoned them. And God is saying, oh, wait a minute. Don't you misconstrue that my discipline means I've abandoned them. I have not abandoned Israel. I have not abandoned Judah. I'm going to restore them. But I tell you what, you're gloating over your enemy. You're gloating because something disastrous has happened to them. And I want you to know because you're gloating over them. I've got something to do and say and deal with you about. Now, this is an issue of the heart, is it not? Have you ever gloated? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) I'll go on raise your hand. Have you ever gloated when your enemy or someone that did you wrong or someone that, you know, you didn't like or something, whatever, and you gloated over their misfortune? You see, it's an issue of the heart. Guard your heart, for out of the heart becomes a wellspring of life. And because they were gloating and misconstruing the discipline that God was giving to Israel, and they thought, hey, all right, man, we're look at Israel, man, they have fallen, and because they have fallen, we're going to rise to power, and we're going to be blessed. It's a very, very serious thing that when you gloat, over someone who has had a misfortune. In fact, one of the laws of the land, if you go back and study the laws of the land that God had given to the children of Israel was a law against gloating. They didn't call it gloating. But he he told them, he says, listen, when your brother, when your brother, when your fellow Israelite fails and they have a misfortune, don't you rejoice. Don't you rejoice in their misfortune because it will come to you. So I need to guard my heart. Because you see, I'm, I'm going to be honest. There are times in my life when I've seen my enemy. Something bad happened to them. It was almost like my flesh wanted to say, see, see, look what happened to you. Look what you did. What, what happened to you is because what you did to me. That is not of God. That's not of God. And God says, listen, because you're gloating over my chosen people, because you're gloating over their their, uh, uh, judgment or over, over their discipline, I've got an issue with that. And I want you to know your enemy from the east is going to come in and take possession. Don't gloat. It's an issue of the heart. And then we look, read on, and, and we find that in that same chapter, a prophecy against Edom and Philistia. And the problem with Edom and Philistia is that they were, they were the Israel, they were the Israelites' enemies. They were the enemies of Israel, and they would take vengeance. They would take revenge. 
In other words, God had called or chosen the nation of Babylonia, King Nebuchadnezzar, to discipline the Israelites. And Edom and Moab decided, not Moab, Edom and Felicia decided, hey, let's take revenge. They have fallen. Let's take revenge. And God said, I didn't. I didn't ask you. I didn't use you as a tool of discipline. But you're taking matters into your own hands, and you're taking vengeance out for yourself. That's an issue of the heart. Anytime that we scream and we yell and we holler, I want revenge, or I want payment, or I want justice. The Bible says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And any time that you're demanding those things, if you're not careful, you see, it's one thing to, to demand those things for those that can't demand or can't help themselves. But when you begin to demand vengeance or revenge or justice for yourself, then it's not about justice, it's about payment. It's about me. And God has an issue with that. Because God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It is not your place as my people to take matters into your own hands. I will take care of those things. I will deal justice. I will deal justly. I will deal with that person or that nation or that group of people that has rebelled against me. I will, I will deal with them. But don't you take matters into your own hands. You see what I'm saying? Guard your heart, for it is from, the, from your heart that the wellspring of life. And so God had an issue with those two groups of people, two nations, because they were taking vengeance or revenge themselves. And then you look at the, the third nation there in, in chapter 26, and, you, and it's a long, notice it, in fact, it's the longest uh, series. It goes through three chapters, I believe, 26, 27, 28, three chapters there, and he talks about the, the country or the city of Tyre, Tyre, T-Y-R-E, the city of Tyre. And he rebukes them and, and, and begins to speak to them because of their pride. I mean, notice what, what he says uh, uh, to the, the prophecy against, he says, uh, he says, son of man, because Tyre has said to Jerusalem, aha, the gate to the nations is broken and his doors has swung open to me. Now that she lies in ruins, I will prosper. If you turn the, well, I don't know about you turning the page, but if you turn to chapter 27 and, and verse three there, it says, you say, O Tyre, I am perfect in beauty. He says in chapter 28, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you are a man and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. And so all of a sudden, the problem that God, the issue that God has with Tyre is because they're arrogant, they're prideful. They, they, are, they think that, that they did everything themselves. They have what they have because they worked hard for it, because they did it. They achieved it. I have become wise. I'm wise. And, and even God says, are you wiser than Daniel? God says it there in that verse or that 28th chapter. In fact, he said in the next verse, are you wiser than Daniel? There's no secret hidden from you. But your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself and amassed gold and silver in your treasure. But your, by your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth. In other words, they are so proud of themselves. And I'm telling you, one of the, one of the big issues with God is when you and I become prideful and have prideful hearts. Mm. You see, I have to be careful. You have to be careful that we don't become prideful in the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've gained. Look what I make. Look what I've done. Look what I can do. I've come to this place in my life that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. In fact, I was praying this morning, and as I was praying, I thought, God, 
God, if you don't anoint, if you don't anoint, it, my words are not going to be, are, are meaningless. My words are absolutely meaningless. Only your word changes lives. I don't have the power to change. In fact, I don't even have the power to lead. To, to lead. I don't have the power to draw. I don't have the power to do anything. Only God can do that. And you see, they became so arrogant and prideful because of their beauty and the blessings that God had bestowed upon them that they became very prideful. And then the last nation, not the last one, then there's the nation of Sidon. Sidon. And Sidon had the issue of being malicious neighbors. They were malicious towards Israel. Let me ask you, have you ever been malicious toward anyone? Have you? You, you see, I'm not, I'm not preaching this as a condemning message. I'm, I'm preaching this as a message. Lord, I want you to help me guard my heart so that I don't become prideful. Lord, I need you to guard my heart so I don't become like Edom and Moab and Philistia and those nations. God, I, I need you to guard me so that I don't take revenge. I don't take matters into my own hand. God, I need you to guard my heart so I don't become malicious, that I don't talk malicious to my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Anyone I come in contact with? My neighbor. And then the last one is Egypt. Egypt, the issue with them is they were self-reliant. Notice what he said in, in, in chapter 29. The Nile is mine. I made it for myself. That's what Egypt was saying. The Nile is mine. I made it for myself. Because you said the Nile is mine, I made it. And, and all of a sudden, you've got a nation that has become self-reliant. In fact, it is this nation, one of these nations, it is this nation, or one of them, but they led Israel astray. In fact, they, Israel began to look to Egypt as their partner, as their reliance. We can depend on Egypt. We can't depend on God, but we can depend on Egypt. And they became self-reliant. In fact, I'm so self-reliant, I made the Nile myself. I mean, think about that. How arrogant can a person be and can a nation be to think, I made the Nile myself. It is God who created it. It is God who gave them the Nile. It is God who put it in that land. And they're so arrogant that they're self-reliant. Ah, look what I did. We have to guard our hearts. Of all the nations, Egypt should have known that God is God because of what he displayed to them and through them when he delivered the children of the when he delivered the Israelites. And the last thing that he had against them was they all worshiped idols. They all worshiped idols. So there are three questions I want us to ask in closing. What can we learn from this? What is God saying to the surrounding nations and their judgments? First of all, I believe this is, this is important. It's simple, but it's important that God is God and we are not. I'm God and you're not. We need to come to the place that we really believe with all our heart, soul, and mind that God is sovereign, that God is God, and that I am not God, nor will I ever be God nor should I ever act as if I'm God. God is God, and we are not. You see, Tyre, I sit on the throne of a God. Egypt, I created the Nile. We must come to the place that we really believe that God is God, that God is sovereign, that God is control, and that he is loving and trustworthy. Do you really believe that God is who he says he is? Do you really believe that he loves you with an everlasting love that's irrevocable? Do you really believe that God loves you? And I've said this before, but I believe that God 
will chase you down because he loves you. You can run from God, you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. God loves you so much that he will chase you down, not to discipline or to punish you, not to cast judgment upon you, but God will chase you down. Even if it takes discipline, he will chase you down because he wants to restore and give you the gift of eternal life. God is God, and we are not. Second of all, I believe we need to understand that all good gifts come from God. In James 1, 16, 17, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and, perf- and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We need to realize that everything I have, everything I am, everything I hope to be, everything I hope to acquire, whatever it is, if it's wisdom, if it's knowledge, if it's possessions, whatever it is, that everything I have is a gift from God. I'm telling you, it is a gift from God. I may have worked, I may have uh, uh, labored, but I'm telling you, it is a gift from God. Everything, everything, your children are a gift from God. Your home is a gift from God. Your career is a gift from God. Your friends are a gift from God. Your family is a gift from God. Your possessions are a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. That's important because the mindset of the world, the mindset of the world is I worked for it. I labored for it. Well, you may have worked. And listen, listen, I believe you should work. I believe you should work. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible says. Don't blame me. Don't get mad at me. You don't work, you don't eat. I think you should work. When God created man and placed him in the garden, he gave him a task to maintain or keep the garden. He worked. He just didn't lay around in leisure. He didn't lay around and do nothing. He worked. He labored. God created you. Oh, oh my goodness, this is not my notes here. But God created you to work. I'll be honest the other day. I got to be careful. There's some people that just don't want to work. Listen, if you come to me and you want me to help you, I'll be glad to help you. But if you don't have a job, guess what? I'm going to help you find a job. We had this particular person that came and, and they were homeless and, you know, and, and we helped them. I, I believe in helping people. Listen, I believe in helping people. But then we began to talk to the person about uh, getting a job and going to work, and we haven't seen her since. She didn't want nothing to do with that. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to empower you to keep doing what you're doing. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. Because you you need to work. You see, being able to work is a gift from God. Do you hear me? I thank God I can work. I do. That's, there's some work I don't like, some things I don't like to do, but some things you just got to do. I remember one time I was doing a job at our state campground, and, and listen, you can be real with God. Did you know that? You can, you can tell God, God, I thank you for my job, but I really don't like it. It, it, it's okay. God doesn't get upset with you because there are times in your life you're going to have to do jobs that you don't like. I mean, I was at the campground. You got 400 women at the campground. It's a ladies' day. 11 o'clock, they call me. A whole dorm is without toilets. Have you ever seen 60 women with no toilets? It's a nightmare. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm the caretaker. I'm the one that's in charge. Guess what? I can't fix it. I went and got them a five-gallon bucket. I said, fill it up with water and pour it in the toilet. It'll flush. I'm just saying. Then I leave from there and I go down to the kitchen and I get trash. I mean, trash. 400 women can make lots of trash. And so I'm at the kitchen and I'm loading up the bags, loading up the bags on the back of my truck. 
and I'm going to take him to the dumpster. I drive it to the dumpster. I pick up the garbage, the bag, and it busts. I mean, it's full of food, and it busts, and it covers me. And I'm just going to be honest. I looked up at God, and I said, God, I hate this job. I did. I did. I did. And the amazing thing, you know, God didn't get mad at me. I kept riding on working. I didn't walk off the job. I didn't leave. I didn't, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't quit. But I kept right on working. God finally moved me. <laughs> Took him a while, but he finally moved me. <laughs> In fact, a year before, I thought, man, we're, we're fixing to leave. We're fixing to leave. We're fixing to leave. And God said, uh, no, you're not. You ain't finished yet. You got some more, haul, you got some more trash to haul out. <laughs> and for another year, he left me there, haul trash. My point is... My point is that we need to recognize that everything good is from God above, even though it's not always pleasant. That wasn't pleasant. Now, I loved, I didn't love that part of that job, but I really did love my job. It just wasn't pleasant at that moment. And there's times in your life that you need to realize it may not be pleasant right now, but this job is a gift from God. And my, my kids may not be pleasant right now, but my kids are a gift from God. Listen, kids are not always pleasant. Raising them is not always easy. I, 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 I don't know about your kids, but my kids didn't come with a pamphlet or a manual and, and tell me which way they were bent and how they were going to act and react. And, and I found out something. The way I treated my daughter was not the same way I could treat my son. Well, thanks, Lord. You at least made twins. I don't know. My point is, it is a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from God. And everything that you have is a gift from God that's good. May not always be pleasant. Everything you go through is not always pleasant. But if you look at the outcome, it's a gift from God. We need to learn that. And third of all, we need to understand that we need to be on guard. And this is where I want to get to. Derek, get ready. That we need to be on guard against our surrounding environment, shaping us rather than God's Word. You see, the Israelites allowed their environment to shape them instead of God's word shaping them. Mm. If you and I are not careful, we live in a world where we will allow the environment and the culture to shape us instead of allowing God's word to shape us. There's a, there's a parable in Matthew, the 13th chapter. I'm not going to read it. It's a parable of the sower. And he talks about the good soil and the seed. And how that the sower went out and sowed good seed. And some of it fell on hard ground, the path. Some of it fell on rocks. Some of it fell on good soil, but was mixed with briars and thorns. And then some of it fell on good soil with no briars and thorns. And the disciples said, Jesus, what do you mean by this? And he said, well, the, the sower that went out and sowed, the sower represents the word of God, represents Christ or God. And then and, and the seed represents the word of God. And how that some of the seed that was sown, when it was sown, it, was, it landed on the hard path. And because it landed on the hard path, the enemy came in and stole the word of God away. Before they could embed, before they could get any root, because it laid on the surface, the enemy came in and took away the word of God. Then there was the, the seed that was sown among the rocks. And how that they began to take root. They begin to, uh, uh, seedlings, I mean, seedlings begin to burst forth, but all of a sudden, they died. They died because, because there was no root. They couldn't go deep. They were shallow. 
And there's a lot of people that get the word of God and because they don't let it take root and get deep into their lives and they don't let it shape them and they don't let it mold them and they don't let them uh, affect the way they live and the way they think. Because they don't do that, they're real shallow and the Bible says that they just die. They wither and die. And then there's the good seed that goes in good soil but then begins to grow up with the briars and the thistles and the thorns. And the thorns begin to choke the life out of the plant. And this is where we're at. The seed has been sown into your life. And it's growing, but the environment, the culture, the surrounding nations, the surrounding people are shaping you and they're pressuring you. They're putting you in a pressure pot and they're pressuring you to conform to the thoughts and to the way of thinking of the world. Do you realize that's where we're at? That, that, that the world is trying to make us think like them. And God doesn't want you to think like the world. He doesn't want you to act like the world. He doesn't want you to respond like the world. He doesn't want you to live like the world. He wants you to be different. And when I use the term different, I'm not talking about being weird. He wants you to live in the world. He wants you to be a part of the world. But he doesn't want you to conform to the world. He says, listen, the pressures, the pressures squeeze the life out of the plant. And even the pleasures squeeze the life out of the plant. And I believe that's where we're at today in the church. That if we're not careful, we got to be on guard. That we don't let the environment, the surrounding nations the surrounding communities, the people that surround us, that we don't let them shape our life, but that we let the Word shape our life. Listen, the most important thing that you can get in your life is Jesus Christ and His Word. His Word brings life. His Word gives life. And I'm telling you, it changes everything. It changes everything. You, you know, we were talking yesterday when we were talking about finances in our men's Bible study and, and, and how that if you go into financial counseling, if you go into financial counseling, the financial counseling of the world, if, if you pay your tithe, the financial counselors of the world say, don't do that. You need to put that aside. You need to put that aside and you need to focus on paying your debt and paying all. And that's not what God teaches God says you pay your tithe first, and then the 90%, God will stretch and take care of every need in your life. But that's not what the world says. You see, if we're not careful, we'll let the, our, our world and the environment that we live in begin to shape us. That's what Israel did. They let the surrounding nations begin to shape them into worshiping idols to prostituting themselves or the blessings of God to other gods, idols. You see, I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. And we got to be careful that we guard our heart because out of our heart comes the wellspring of life. Very important. So I want to ask the question in closing. Are we allowing our surrounding environment to shape us? Or are we allowing the Word of God to shape the way we think, the way we live, who we are? You know, I know what God says about me. I know what God says about you. God says about you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says about you that you're a son or a child of God. You're a child of the King. God says about you, I made you perfect in every way. God says about you, I could go on and on and on and on and talk about all the things that God says about you. Listen, I don't care what the world says about me. I believe what God says about me. I'm going to shape, I want to shape the way I think 
I want it to be shaped by what God says about me in His Word. I don't want to be shaped by the environment. I don't want to be shaped by our culture. I don't want to be shaped by what's going on in America. I don't want to be shaped by what's going on in the other parts of the world. I want to be shaped according to God's design for me, His Word. So what am I allowing to shape my life? Or who am I allowing to shape my life? Am I allowing my environment? Or am I allowing the Word of God to shape me? Just a question I'd like for you to ask yourself. Who or what is shaping my life? Is it Christ? Is it God the Father? Or is it my culture, my environment, my peers, my workmates? Is it the music of the world? What is it that's shaping me? Or is it God? Would you stand? A question that I want you to ask yourself. Question that I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what am I allowing to shape my life? As the scripture says, guard your heart. Guard your heart because out of your heart flows the wellspring of life. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be what God wants me to be. And it may be different. But I'm going to tell you right now that if I had to go back and do my life over, if I had to go back and do my life over, there's not much I would change. There's not much I would change at all. Oh, there's probably a few decisions I would have made differently. I know. I think I would. But there's not much I would change because I don't regret. I do not regret the day I became a Christian. And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I don't regret following God's word. I didn't always get it right. I'm not perfect. Still not perfect. But I don't regret. Because I'm telling you what, I have been so, so blessed. I have been so blessed by God. And I mean that from my heart. I have been blessed by God. I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not even a millionaire. In fact, I'm not even really a thousandaire. (laughs) But I tell you what, I got more than enough. I've got everything I need. I've got a relationship with God. I've got a wonderful family. I've got you. What more could I ask for? What more? I wouldn't trade a thing because of Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you today just to think for a moment who or what is shaping my life? Is it my environment? Is it my peers? Is it my career? Is it my workplace? Or is it God? Is it the Word of God? Is, am I allowing Him to shape my life into His image? Father, I pray that you speak to us today. God, there may be someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I want them to know that you came to this earth. I want them to know that you died for their sins, that you paid the price. That, God, they don't have to face judgment. They never, ever have to face judgment because when they receive you as their Lord and Savior, their sins are judged on the cross. Their sins have already been judged. You don't see them, Lord, as guilty of sin. You see them as righteous when they receive you. So, God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray that you speak to them, that you draw them, that you convict them and help them to see their need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And, God, I pray for the rest of us that, God, we'll be willing to let the Spirit search our hearts. Lord, that we'll be willing to examine ourselves honestly and ask the question, who or what is shaping my life? Is it you or is it my environment? God, I pray that we'll 
make a conscious decision, a conscious choice that will be intentional from this day forward. I'm not going to let my peers, I'm not going to let the world, I'm not going to let my culture, I'm not going to let my environment shape me. But I'm going to let you shape me into the man or woman that you want us to be. God, speak to our hearts today and help us to be honest. I ask it in your name, Jesus. I want you to pray to yourself as Derek is singing this song. And then we'll join him in a minute in this, in this course, him and um, uh, Morgan. I thought Morgan was here. Morgan. But I want you just to pause for a minute as they're singing the first whatever it is. And then we'll join them. But I want you to think. I want you to pray. This altar's open. If you'd like to come and pray, I'd love to pray with you. Would you sing? Thank you, Jesus. All my words fall short. I got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs. I love the fact that when I talk about Jonah, God chased him down because he loved him. And he loved the Ninevites, the enemies of Israel. He loved the Ninevites, the very enemies of Israel. God loved them. And he chased Jonah down and said, go, share the message. God loves you today. And I'm so glad God will chase me down. During even seasons of change, God will chase me down because he loves me. He loves you. Don't you ever forget. Don't you ever forget that God loves you so much. He gave his one and only son to die on a cross for you and I. God loves you. And I'm going to tell you today, we love you as well. God bless you. God bless you today. I hope that you will take the words that were spoken today and just ponder over them. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Guard your heart so that... Thanks for listening to, to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. For me to if you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.